You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Arnold DeLuf. Uh, he's the author of the book, What is Life? The Immaterial Dimension and Communication, Life, and Mega Evolution, Decrypting Life's Nature. Um, he's uh, worked as a professor of biology at the University of Leuven in Belgium since 1973. Uh, his major interest is in the evolution and mode of action of the endocrine system of animals. Uh, so a lot of good stuff to talk about here. So Arnold, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So Arnold, what um, what has been the focus of uh, your studies for so long? What what part? What fascinates you about life and about uh, organisms? Yeah. Well, uh, my original basic interest was when I did my PhD study the endocrine system of animals and particular of uh, of insects. So actually, I am uh, an animal physiologist by training. But when I started my PhD, that was in uh, in the late sixties. There was a very big uh, difference between the the attitude of vertebrate hormone people and invertebrate hormone people. I was in the the corner of uh, the insect people at that moment when I started only one insect hormone was known. And uh, the attitude at that time was all oh, insects. Yeah, they are just uh, black boxes. Uh, they don't. Mm. They don't have hormones, and they don't need it. That was vertebrate people said. But I saw the complexity of the physiological system. I said that is not possible and be as complicated as uh, the vertebrates. That's where my interest uh, in evolution started. So the way to go was, well, identify the hormones of insects. So that is what uh, I have spent uh, most of my life in uh, in that area. So 
my laboratory identified dozens of new uh, hormones, and in the end, this and the end result of that is that insects are for their hormonal system as complicated as the vertebrates, but uh, for evolution, even more, many of the hormones are almost exactly the same, which was a oh, very wow. good indication for the, for the common descent uh, principle of evolution theory. What have insects taught you about evolution? Well, that they are ahead of the vertebrates in evolution. Yeah, we always think this, that they are simple animals. They are not. But, uh, well, they actually, they had a very clever strategy. Well, being small, a very high uh, reproduction uh, this rate, and most of all, they miniaturized almost all possible things, because they are small. Well, I usually uh, just compare it with, um, uh, well, if we talk in uh, this computers, vertebrates with their big brain, these are the, uh, well, the animals that choose the, the wrong side of evolution, in fact. So their brain is like the huge IBM computers in the time. Insects are the ones that have miniature miniaturized everything. Those are the telephones that we have now in our hand with their uh, huge uh, this memory. So uh, that is, in fact, is just opposite for what most people think. These insects are many, many, many generations ahead of us. That's, uh, they're, ma they're masters of Miniaturization. Miniaturization. Yeah. Well, some of the hormones in their brain, these protein hormones, are only made by two cells. And that's it. That's enough. It's impossible with vertebrates, of course. Yeah. And then the, the next point um, in my career was uh, this after I became professor here in, uh, this in Leuven. Yeah, most professors here have to teach a lot, in particular to uh, the, uh, bachelor uh, students. So I was giving a course for uh, general zoology, several other courses, uh, this too. And in that uh, course, I introduced the idea of evolution, uh, this theory. But I thought the students, well, there is a big problem with that theory because evolution should deal with the evolution of life in its totality. It is not just uh, how the new species come into existence. Of course, that's uh, this important. But the problem with that is if you want to study the evolution of something, define your subject. And only then you can be sure that uh, at least the explanation you will come up uh, will deal with the right thing. And then what, I thought, what, is your, uh, uh, what is your focus on? I did focus on, well, 
But, well, just to, to continue for a little bit, this one of the students said, well, if it is uh, so difficult to, to define life, why don't you do it yourself? If none of the definitions that were available in the early 70s uh, please you, why don't yourself? So I said, well, that's quite a, a challenge. And then uh, I started to do that. It took me about two years before I found out how to do it, how to define life. And uh, what turned out is to be the problem, well, most people, more, most biologists thought it was not possible, because that was all textbooks compare living systems with non-living systems, uh, just comparing the opposites, which was done all the time. But why did that not yield a definition? I have been thinking and thinking until... Uh, through a book on uh, philosophy, I came to uh, a sentence that said you have to, well, one thing of one property can only have one opposite. But if you do that, living system, non-living system, a living dog that you can, with non-living, a bottle, a brick, a pencil, and so on. So these were not the right opposite. But what were the right opposites? Finally, I found it. It was still being alive, and one second later, no being alive anymore. And that raised the question, what changes at the very moment of death? Mm, and I right guess a, a very simple question, but it was not simple at, at all to, to solve it. And then, uh, well, I finally found it. It, was the, uh, it is the ability to communicate at the highest level of organization. And, and that in an irreversible way, just to exclude uh, regeneration, especially in plants. But why has it to be the highest level of organization? Well, take a rabbit, for example, that we are going to sacrifice for the kitchen. If you would cut uh, one leg, it's not that. It's only if its brain gets irreversibly destroyed, then at that moment is that, even if the heart would still be beating and, and so on. And that, uh, that led to the next uh, step, this, what is life? Life is, well, life, the term sounds like a noun, but it is an activity, so it is a verb. And that is uh, how are you uh, further um, yeah, deal with that. This if, life, well, if communication activity is so important, is, um, how can living systems, well, communicate? What is the basic structure that they need? And there came my background as uh, an endocrinologist, well, all living systems are organized in the form of senders, receivers. This whatever, or whether it is a population or whatever, whatever it is, 
Each living system is organized as a sender-receiver. So the sender produces a carrier of a, a message, a message releases it, that travels through the blood or through the air, whatever it, uh, it is, arrives at um, a receiver, and the receiver has to catch it first and then decode it. This, that was the next step. This, well, well, quick, this question, quick question here. <clears throat> Would you say that cells, individual cells within our own body, for instance, they exhibit all these things as well? Sending, receiving, yes, interpreting? Yes, level of, yes, very good question. Any level organization does that. A mitochondrion communicates with the environment in the cell, one cell communicates uh, with another, tissues communicate with other tissues and so on. This, our body is composed of systems all organized as sender-receivers, but at different levels of complexity. And if you add all that up, this, then you have the total uh, communication activity of uh, the thing, but that is an enormous, enormous complex system, but based on a very simple uh, this principle. But then I okay. um, that, can yeah, we go okay. back for a moment? You said what what yes, changes yes, the yes. moment that an organism dies? What what kind of uh, communication? Why do you think that uh, an organism dies, for instance, when its brain is crushed? What, what, I guess there's a master signal maybe that goes out to the rest of the body that tells it, the all electric, right, disband. The electrical one. It is the electrical dimension of cells that gets irreversibly destroyed. That falls to zero. Because all cells have a membrane potential, they drive an electric current through themselves, the electric that they make this by themselves. And a cell dies at the very moment that it loses its electrical dimension. That it has no membrane potential anymore, this does not drive an electric current through itself, but in an irreversible way. That's important. If they can regenerate, then it's not that yet at that moment. So it is the electrical dimension that matters. Hmm. Okay. And have you studied um, viruses, for instance? Like, what is your determination of viruses? Are they alive or are they not? According to your criteria, the virus is not, is not living at all because it has no membrane, no no membrane with ion pumps and channels and so on. This um, virus cannot produce an own electrical dimension. It's just uh, a clump of uh, organic molecules, DNA, RNA, with some uh, proteins. Well, they they do seem to have purpose and intent. They do seem to have a, I don't know, you can call it a desire to propagate themselves, and they do seem to take action in the right conditions. So what is it about them that makes them not alive to you or to other people? Yeah, but it's not enough just that they reproduce. They do not reproduce themselves like... Uh, 
Well, cells are so do they get reproduced because their host does that. So the viruses do not do that by themselves and they certainly do not uh, well, have a goal to do that because uh, in evolution there is no goal. And well, not even a physiology is the. Uh, Where do you think viruses come from, for instance? And how do, they do have their own unique codes. <laughs> because they act differently, but where do you think they come from? Oh, they must have been uh, split off from DNA molecules, but if they are DNA viruses, a small piece that got uh, loose was taken up by a cell and got uh, reproduced. So they are sort of, uh, yeah, breakdown products from uh, bigger uh, DNA uh, the molecules that in the end uh, behave themselves as parasites. Okay. So uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but continuing on with uh, your studies, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, I uh, this further studies then with theory of evolution. So the basic principle is that Darwin. Uh, already formulated as uh, the common descent. Yeah, we all uh, uh, are the progeny of uh, very ancient, ancient yeah, bacterium or whatever it is. So we all share the same descent. But then, uh, just to continue with the theory of uh, evolution, well, if um, Life is communication activity and contains information. Then my question was at the given moment, uh, upon which cellular principle is that basic? Which system can handle information? And that uh, is the sender-receiver uh, system. But the sender-receiver, there are two memory systems. There's one for what I started to call as the hardware, our body, this, that's the DNA. But uh, in our body, this, we have the DNA for all the proteins and our hardware, but also our brain, teaching, learning, and all these things. But the principle of our cognitive memory are not coded for, or only to a certain extent, by the DNA. That's another principle. So I said, well, instead of, um, well, let us first look again at what Darwin said well, in his book on the origin of species by means of natural selection. Everybody knows that. Does that yield the principle to explain senders, receivers, transfer of information? Well, it doesn't. But uh, well, we need another language for that. And well, I usually told my students, Darren lived in the era, the era of the analog computers. Now we live in the digital uh, era. This with, uh, then you have the hardware, but also the software. And the, these two entities, these two memory systems have their own rules. So, 
well, like the evolution of our uh, of our computers. It are these engineers that make that design this, the hardware and all the rules of that. But it are the software engineers who write the programs to run it, and these are is totally different language. So if you look at uh, living systems and their evolution, uh, I call to do my students, well, look at evolution and have uh, as a double continu continuum, a hardware continuum and a software continuum, both with their own rules and principles. The memory of the hardware DNA, this, that's the central dogma that we understand. The software, that's how our brain and teaching, learning works, that we hardly know anything about it. That's the next big challenge for the generations to come. This hardware, software, and then for students, what they love it, my grandchildren, if I tell uh, them how evolution works, in my opinion, so they are so used with hardware and software, of course, so what else, what else would you be expect, so it's natural for them. Yeah, it's weird when you think about organisms, the hardware, if you can call it that, is the structure of the cells. And the organism and the software is the chemical, the and electrical, and mechanical communication between yeah. cells. Yeah. But software and organisms seems to be ignored quite a bit. Maybe people think maybe it's just chemical communication at best, but uh, there appears to be many forms of communication amongst cells. Oh, yes. So oh, software yes. and organisms oh. are super important. Well, of course, the two have uh, to come together. There's in our brain, you have the neurotransmitters of all sorts. There's these are chemicals. And, uh, and to make these, yeah, of course, you need the, the DNA and all the enzymes and so this to produce it. But where the actually the, uh, the important thing in learning and so is, the electrical changes that are uh, generated. But cellular electricity is not coded for in the DNA. And that is also a misunderstanding that uh, many people have. What is heredity or you inherit the genes of uh, your parent, 50-50, mother, and so on, the genes, that's inheritance. But what about uh, the electrical dimension, which is not coded for in, uh, in the DNA, or only to, well, because it is carried, carried by sodium ions, potassium ions, and so on, so that's not coded. Well, this is shared by the parent cell to the daughter cell. Part of the membrane of the parent cell is shared with the daughter cell, and that contains the ion pumps and so on, the electrical dimension. So we have two memory systems, and both are inherited. This one is truly inherited. The other one is the electrical one. is just shared between parents and daughter cells. Right. Where do you think uh, life came from? How did it originate? I'll give you an easy question. What's your answer? 
<laughs> What's your answer to that one? Well, the virus, is that the question again? No, where, where, where did life, we... how, where and how did life originate? <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> I was joking that I'm going to give you an easy question. So that's my easy question for you. I think it originated on Earth in the uh, primitive sea in the hot water, but I do not exclude the possibility that uh, with meteorites, uh, but carrying bacteria, or there's these ancient bacteria, that that may also have been at the origin of life. So I would not exclude that possibility. But if it originated on Earth, it should have been, uh, life should have been originated in the form of uh, these primitive bacteria where around uh, volcanoes uh, in the sea. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it's weird. How did life come from non-life? What was the driving force that crossed that barrier? It's a strange thing to think of. How could that have happened? If it comes from out, is that your question? How, how um, would life have first made the jump from non-life to life? How do you think that from, first crossing well, happened? Yeah, yeah, from non-life to life. That's the acquisition of the electrical dimension. So there must uh, have been a formation of a compartment, there's a lipid membrane, there's according to specialists that was not that difficult to make a membrane sac of lipids. And at certain evolution, proteins must have come into being, which were lipophilic. So when they encountered the membrane, they jump into, into the membrane. If one of these uh, proteins could transport protons, this hydrogen ions from one side to the other, that was enough to establish the first electrical dimension. And that has been, that system has been continued for a billion years before then, sodium and potassium and so to go for. So the uh, Acquisition of becoming life was the acquisition of the electrical dimension. And this, the ion that did it was probably the proton of which, by the activity of this, that protein, its concentration became different inside towards the outside world. Which, on which side the highest concentration was, was, did not really matter. So it is electricity where it was all about, in my opinion, at least. Okay. Well, very good. So what, what are you um, thinking about today? What is your most recent thoughts and what do you want to figure out now? Well, well, not, I am retired already quite a number of years, and um, I still um, continue thinking and writing about uh, uh, hormones. 
there's more than about uh, the theory of evolution. This once you have formulated the concept, that's it. And there's a, but what uh, for the moment I do is um, thinking about uh, big holes in our knowledge on uh, on hormones and. One particular hormone this is, the, this is the one I started to study already 15 years ago. That's um, there's a hormone that keeps insects young in their larval stages. And at the moment that they uh, no longer produce it, this when that disappears from their body, then they start met. Uh, undergoing metamorphosis. This is a very uh, beautiful process, very drastic and so on. So that hormone and insect is known, it's uh, chemical is known from 1968. It's a very small, small one, but it is also present in our body in large quantities, but nobody knows what it does. There's no vertebrate and this cannot explain how we can be a child and this being young without using a hormone. Well, actually, I found out we use exactly the same hormone as insects, farnesol, but it is not a protein and everybody is looking for a protein hormone. But it is a terpene, <laughs> very simple, um, uh, this molecule. And the reason why it is so important in the body, not only of insects or so, of all eukaryotic cells, is that it is an essential part of the calcium homeostasis system. And what it does is to keep calcium concentration low in all eukaryotic cells. But if that fails, then you become sick. Yeah. So. This, the, yeah, my major interest is now this uh, that hormone and the relation with calcium. Yeah. What? Okay. So it's trying to keep calcium at a certain level, you're saying? Yeah. Excuse me. Is it, so you, you're saying that the uh, organism's regulation of calcium is critical? Yeah. That if it's not regulated yes. properly, yes. It yes. yes, yes. Well, um, well, it has also taken a long time in my life. <laughs> I am now 78 years old. It's only less than 10 years that I realized myself how important calcium is. And second thing was, uh, why can uh, calcium be used as a secondary messenger? That's very important, this molecule. And uh, to my own surprise, as it turned out, it can be a second messenger because calcium is toxic in cells. Um, what does it do? Well, um, Many proteins and also other molecules change form when the concentration of calcium in their environment rises. And yeah, the most uh, obvious example of that is muscle contraction. That's always 
calcium up and down, calcium this, that. Oh, okay. okay. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.